if you could only pick one IM race to do for the rest of your career, would you pick the two or the four or the hundred IM? I would say the four because it's it's harder to be good at it. Welcome to Social Kick. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a full crew, Luke Paddington, Dr. John Mullen, and joining us fresh off of his world championship medal hall, Carson Foster. Hey. Hello. What's up, Carson? How are you, man? Good to see you. I'm great. I'm great. It's good to see you guys too. I get back into Austin and back training with my my friends. And uh yeah, it's just been a it's been a good week coming off worlds. Well, you got to, so like you were just telling us, you're coming off Worlds and most people after they have a big meet, they take a little bit of time to rest, but you're just rolling straight through. So give us the update. Yeah, I have sectionals next week and sectionals is something I've kind of been looking forward to all summer. Obviously Worlds was the focus, but sectionals is kind of a fun meet that I get to go to and just focus on throwing down times. And that's obviously where I had kind of my breakout swim last summer. Um, so it's kind of a, a fun meet where I get to swim with all my friends and purely focused on times. So I'm going to swim a couple different races. I don't really get to swim that often. Um, and then after that, I was, I, I feel like I, I'm really motivated right now. I don't feel like I'm, I'm not in a position where I want to take a break. So I feel like if I took a break, I would just want to be swimming. So um, the plan right now is to just kind of get back into it, take a long weekend, maybe at the beginning of August. But um, I, yeah, I have no intention of, of stopping swimming anytime soon. I'm, I'm ready to keep it going. Guys, the last time he swam sectionals, he dropped three seconds from his trials time. He just went four or six last week. Hmm. <laughs> I, I will not be swimming the 4 a.m. next week. So okay, okay. We'll never know. <laughs> I was thinking about this, man. You're so versatile. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of people look at people with success like you and the IMs, especially when you're, you know, near the top of the podium or getting getting medals and in both races, uh, think about you as an IMer, but you're like this hybrid IMer, freestyler, backstroker, like best in the field at fly, you could argue. So, like, do you typecast yourself? Do you think about yourself as an IMer? Or are you just like a swimmer who's been really, really good at swimming for a long time? <laughs> I, I would say I'm an IMer, someone who I always really looked up to. Um, as when I was younger, but also currently right now, since I'm kind of getting to the level uh, of meets and competition that he was doing it at is, is Ryan Lochte and how he kind of did all the 200. That's something that I've, I want to make it a goal of mine to be able to like branch out, out of the IMs. I obviously stay in the IMs, but I want to, I want to be able to compete in the, the specialty strokes as well. Um, so that's kind of something I might experiment with. Uh, obviously I'm going to swim the two fly and the two back sectionals and see how those go. Um, and I think those are probably my two best strokes. So, um, I'm going to see what I can throw down. If it's something that I want to start focusing on at higher level competitions, then, then great. If it's not, if it's something that I'm just like, I'll swim these for fun, then that's great as well. But, um, yeah, Ryan Lochte and what he did from like 2010 to like 2015 is kind of, uh, where I, where I want to be in terms of my, uh, being versatile. That's when Lochte developed Gia. Yeah. So uh, what's your catchphrase going to be? I don't, I don't have, I'm, I don't have a cool personality like Lochte. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of just taking everything like, like kind of like the wide eyed little kid, like getting all these experience. I don't have, I don't have the, the personality and confidence that Lochte had during that time. Brian, be careful what you ask for. It might involve a cowboy hat or a hookum or something like that. And I know you don't want to be hearing that as Carson's on top of a podium. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, the, the Texas-Auburn rivalry that once was, uh, I, I have to say, yeah, anytime I see Texas, I'm like, ah, what? My Auburn Tigers aren't, aren't competitive right now with you guys. Here. So um, it's, it's all good. So right. they got some good coaches over there. They're, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be getting pretty good over the next few years. I think, I think, I, I think, I think they're, they're on the rise. That's very respectful of you to say, but they uh, got the right I, idea in terms of who they got coaching their team right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have high hopes and, and that's nice of you to say, I think that uh, now with Texas and Oklahoma going to make their way into the sec, that's the right way to play it. So good on you. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is that? Does that apply to swimming by the way? Like it, it does. I'm not sure. We've heard rumors and I'm not sure if like I'm really allowed to share them of when it's going to happen. Um, but obviously nothing's been confirmed. I hear something and then I go 
we go like eight weeks without hearing something else about it. So um, I honestly know as much confirmed uh, like yeah. facts about it as you guys. Uh, I think as of now, I think why they're going either my senior year or the year after that um, to the SEC and it does involve swimming. Um, and I know that Eddie and Wyatt are 100% on board. They want to, they want to make the switch they want to be in the SEC, the more competitive conference. So, um, I don't really have an opinion on it. I think, um, there's benefits of both. Obviously it's really cool to be in the SEC and to try and win an SEC title. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of like our situation that we have where we kind of use our conference meet as a tune-up meet. So I don't know. I think there's positives to both. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Texas has been known for doing like that big December meet, getting all the A cuts, and then maybe, you know, not having as competitive a Big 12s, obviously, when there's not that many teams. So it'll be really interesting to see how Eddie and the coaching staff there decides to to move forward with it. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I, if it I, has I, to I be just, Texas or Florida, sorry, if it has to be Texas or Florida, I'll, I'll take you guys interrupting this Florida run. So. <laughs> <laughs> Florida, that sprint program that you were so uh, impressed by, Brian? <laughs> oh, man. Now we can move on from bashing uh, Auburn. We can get onto the Red Birds or see what Luke needs to say. Uh, Red Birds. I'm going to bring this up, Cost. Um, Cost, and I scrubbed your into you know, IG. Ten years ago, awesome. he, had just, uh, he just went 154-0. Like, you know, six months ago, he went 154-0. And that's the ad. And Brian, you were training with Ryan at that time, weren't you? No, I never trained with Lochte. Oh, okay. There he is. So Yeah. Yeah, but dude, how, does, how does how does that feel, Carson, to be you know that far removed from uh, a photo with Lochte and he's still got his one fifty four uh, posted <laughs> up and nobody's gone under? I that is, I mean it's it's incredible. It shows you how how and I was actually looking at the all time rankings for the two hundred mm-hmm. IM and I had no idea that there Phelps and Lochte were the only two people to have gone under one fifty five. That's I mean it shows you how much a rivalry and like being competitive with someone can take it. And I think that's something that I'm super excited about with me and Leon is that I feel like hopefully I'm going to be able to make him better over the next couple of years. And I know he's going to make me better. So um, hopefully we can push each other down to that range. Um, obviously the next step for me is now that I'm in the 155 range is to get down to the 154. So um, kind of working on, I think it was really cool swimming against Leon because he, he exposed a lot of my weaknesses um, swimming next to him in all those races. So I, I have a good idea of what I want to work on um, in the specific parts of the races. But yeah, in terms of, I mean, that photo, it's really cool. I, I, I remember I was so starstruck when I, when I took that photo, uh, I swam at a meet in Daytona beach. Um, it was his, his Daytona beach speed, their, their meet that they put on. So I went down there so I could try and meet Lochte and I did. And um yeah, he was, I mean, I think that was 2012. I think that was like, like peak Lochte, uh, like when he was, when he was setting all the the world records and winning the gold medal. So um, it is, it is, it does show how incredible that world record is that it's still a second faster than anyone else has been aside from Phelps. Well, what are the, some of the things that you learned from the meet this week that Leon exposed? What, what do you want to take away and work on now? Um, I think, Without, I don't, and without sharing too much, I think obviously just the obvious things is like, I mean, watching the 200 IM, it like still like, I'm like, oh, that last turn. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't have the underwaters that he does. I think that's something that's very natural to him. I'm assuming I'm, I'm sure he's always had that. Um, and so I don't know if I'll ever have the underwaters, but at least being able to clean up some of the stuff that will, lessen the impact of him just swimming underwater on that last turn. So uh, cleaning up the details in terms of turns, obviously my brushstroke um, is improving. I was really happy with my brushstroke at, at Worlds as, as crazy as that, as crazy as that sounds, um, just because of how, how bad it looked compared to Leon. But those are my two best splits ever in, in brushstroke. So um, just continue to put a bit, a bit more focus into that. And um, honestly, just work on all the strokes, because if Leon's weak half is his front half, and he's still staying with me, then I need to do something about that because that's my strong half and I need to, I need to get out faster and try and try and gap it a little bit more. So, um, it's kind of just all, all parts of the race, but, uh, I have certain things in practice that I'm definitely going to be focusing on. And I've talked to Ed and Wyatt about some sets already that I want to do. So, um, yeah, I'm ready for those. Yeah. I mean, obviously Leon had a great meet, but you, 
had a great meet as well. A lot of best times, a lot of drops, like you said, best splits and, and your breaststroke legs there. And, and you've been on the U.S. radar for a while here, but hasn't had the international success yet until this meet. Would you say this was kind of your big breakout meet or it's just been kind of slowly rising up here over time? I would say this is probably my breakout meet. I, uh, I, I definitely went through kind of like a two-year funk where I, I had trouble getting over the hump a little bit. Um, I think I, I rose really quick through the age group rankings and kind of was at this level of trying to get on teams. Um, and I don't know if I was quite ready for it mentally. Um, I just kind of assumed that since I was getting better, are getting faster so quick that I was just going to continue to make these jumps. And I kind of ran into a road bump for a little bit and um, gave me kind of a better, a new perspective on swimming. Uh, and I think um, obviously this has been this, this past me was probably my best as a whole, my best meet ever. So um, I feel like as I could say, I would say it was a, a pretty good breakout uh, performance for me in terms of uh, the entire meet, but uh I, who knows, maybe I'll have an incredible meet next year and I'll consider that my breakout meet. But um, I think for the time being, this has definitely been my breakout meet. Yeah. When I swam in the dark ages, we all we did was swim and train. We didn't do nutrition, sleep, all that stuff. And people have lost and done that in the last 20 years. And now people are focusing not just on their physical health, like I just mentioned, but their mental health. And it's a huge issue in, in swimming, massive uh, depression, um, um, results from anxiety. You know, um, it, all guests have talked about depression. All guests have talked about mental health in this show. Every one of them, elite athletes. Mm -hmm. um, you've been quite open about it as well. And you've worked with Susanna Miller, um, Mueller quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I was really interested in what you, what you said and what she's been writing about with brain sporting. And, that, um, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but from what I gather, those are, those are symptoms of this pro problem. Anxiety, uh, you know, um, um, overthinking things. That's yeah. anxiety of... Things in your past that your body has subconsciously put behind, and you guys call those brain spots. You work to try and figure those brain spots, therefore the symptoms disappear. Would you be open to talking more about that? Because I'm really Definitely. interested. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, she, she contacted me uh, back in January, or December, and um, I, at first, I was like, kind of hesitant because I was like, I don't have a mental block, like. Of course not. Like I'm, I'm fine mentally. I'm, I'm good. I, I didn't want to accept it, even though in my mind I was definitely like, I mean, backtrack, NCAA's. I mean, I, or I guess backtrack to everything. This is kind of what I posted: is mm -hmm. having so much success at a young age, um, breaking Michael Phelps's national record when I was ten, um, and then you don't really see too many ten and under national record holders like kind of keep going just because of the. I don't know if it's a spotlight. I don't know if they they kind of break out too early, but I was I've been blessed that I've been one of the few that have been able to kind of keep the success going. And um, but having spotlight on your name in the swimming world from a young age is not easy because people love to place expectations um, on you. And for a long time that I thrived under that. I was like, people believe in me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to drop, go to the next level. Um, but then once it gets to the point where it's like really hard to make these teams, um, especially we're the best country, swimming country in the world. I mean, our, our Olympic teams and world championship teams are the hardest teams to make. So um, I became, began to put pressure on myself and um, kind of spiraled and overthink, like was overthinking and began to think that if I didn't get this goal, I like my identity as a swimmer was going to be impacted and that like, what are people going to think of me then? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I did, I did have a mental block and, um, I think that came out at trials. I, I overthank at trials, uh, obviously NCAAs before it, I think in a little bit of NCAAs this year, I was still, still trying to work out, work out all those mental blocks. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's figuring out what's, what's causing your body to kind of, cause at the end of the day, like your body's trying to protect you. Um, your brain's trying to protect you. It's trying to hide those emotions. Um, but it makes it really hard to figure out what the issue is. Um, and so brain spotting kind of just uncovers those. And I was able to become aware of what causes me to feel so much pressure. Um, and then just really kind of do like mental therapy on that. And uh, definitely the most confident I've ever been now. Uh, I 
obviously, like I said, I know there's so much pressure on me now. And the better you get, the more pressure there is. So there's going to be more pressure on me now than there ever has been before. Um, but I know how to deal with it now. And that's something that I'm really excited about. And I feel like it's going to take my swimming to the next level. Um, and I, I know why I swim now. And it's not not to please anyone else. It's not to not to please myself just because I'm, I'm getting these accolades. It's to, it's because I love swimming and because I'm obsessed with making myself faster. Um, because I think that's the coolest thing in the world when you can find something small that makes you faster. And I think that that brings me so much joy in sport. So, um, that's kind of the, I'm, I'm really excited about that's, kind, I feel like that's kind of why I don't need a break. It's because I'm, I'm so excited about where I'm at and the process of it all. You, you ended up the last minute talking about joy, happiness, excitement, pleasure, and the love of swimming. And that's what we've been pushing. Um, we had a guest once tell us that, you know, in our sport, we literally do sets to, to stop the pain. You know, we, we, our coaches try to bring as much pain into us, and then we try to tolerate the pain and try to work past the pain, right? Try, and, and we train our body to, to, to put that pain aside and move past the pain so we're used to that and, and create those environments. But the problem is that's also the part of the brain that brings pleasure and happiness and joy. So we're very, very good at also blocking out and, and ignoring our true self and emotions. So I, I imagine this is a quite a long exercise you have to go through and you're just getting started. And um, and, and it, is it a lot on you? Like when I go to John as a physio, he gives me half an hour of workouts, but it's only successful if I do the homework myself at home and I keep doing it every day. Like, is this a constant process for you? Do you have tools behind the blocks? Do you have tools in the hotel room? Do you have tools, you know, in taper that you exercises you do to help yourself? Yeah, I, so I, I for about what is it, for about five or six months, I met with Susanna once a week over um, a platform like this. Obviously, I, she, we don't live in the same state, so um, we would meet and we would go through our exercises. And she's been incredibly patient with me. Um, I think it took a little bit longer than I expected it to. I thought it was going to be a couple sessions and I was going to be fixed. Um, but that's not how that, that's not how, uh, therapy works. So, um, I, but she gave me stuff to do and she taught me how to do it by myself. Um, when I'm, when I'm not with her, uh, so that's something I do pretty much every day. Um, it's, I notice I'm much happier. <laughs> When I do it every day, when I go through kind of phases when I'm not doing it every day, it's kind of when I'm in my like funks a little bit. Um, and so I do it pretty much every day. Um, I, I mean, you can do it about stuff not involving swimming too, which is super cool. It's like if I'm stressed about a test coming up, I'll do it about that with school. So, um, but yeah, I do it every day when I'm not with her. And then at meets, I'll do it before prelims, in between, after prelims, before finals, after finals. Cool. Um, I do, I'm doing it all the time at meets cause that's normally when I feel the most pressure and stress. So, um, it's something that I, I'm pretty much always doing at this point. It's almost like meditation to me. It's like, it's like I do it and then I can just totally let go of everything I'm stressed about and then kind of reset and get excited. Did you do it before meeting of us? What say it again? Before meeting of us. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm not nervous. <laughs> good, good. One of the things I find interesting is that you're also talking about, um, you know, back to the uh, how you think about and reflect upon your performances uh, at Worlds. That you know, in some ways, it's it's indexing off of you know strengths relative to competition and weaknesses relative to competition. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of a lot of that perceived pressure comes from your placement, not so much the times like, you know, you could be winning medals and nobody cares if you're breaking the world records. Right. But then like so like that pressure somehow inherently comes from how you perform relative to competition. And yet, you know, like I think there's a lot of people that when they have maybe some struggles or some doubts or hit some roadblocks and they go, OK, well, let me just stay in my lane and because I can only focus on what I can control. Um, and it seems like you're kind of leaning into it, right? Like you're you're sort of embracing the fact that the events you swim are can be heavily influenced while you're in the water by the competitors in the pool. So do I have that read right that you're kind of going like it's not just about putting the blinders on because that's not really reality. So I'm just going to embrace the fact that like this is racing and this is how it's going to go and I'm going to be aware and I got to I just got to lean in. Definitely. And that's I mean, that's exactly right. I I was saying 
earlier that um, I was talking to someone else about how um, they were asking me about Leon and if I thought that he was going to break the 2IM world record after the 400 IM. And I said, I didn't know. I, I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't hear that before the race, but I guess some <clears> people <throat> thought he was going to break the world record. Um, and I like to think that if he would have, then I probably would have been 54 mid, hopefully. I think I would have, I think I, I feel like I would have gone with him um, if and whatever way he would have gotten down to that point. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm embracing it. I love that um, I have Leon. I love that I have Chase. I love that my events are some of the fastest events in the world right now because um, it's going to push me. And I think that I'm very much someone that's motivated by competition and goals um and that it like it makes me excited it makes me want to go to practice and work harder um and so i i feel like i'm blessed to be in a position where um i'm towards the top but i like that i'm not i like that i'm kind of chasing something still going into the next two years so um but yeah i think what you said is exactly right i i just embrace training i embrace racing um and that's kind of what they teach us to do here at texas with such a good training group were you glad that he didn't get those records? I mean, he came pretty close on that 4IM, but uh, were you glad that those didn't come off the board? Because I like, has that been a motivation for you to keep those uh, records uh, to an American and you be the first one to get under? I I, w I, don't, I haven't honestly haven't thought about it. I wouldn't say I'm glad. Um, I think I think it would have been would have been super cool for him. It would have been a great experience. I think. Um, I can't control what other people are doing. If he would have gone forward too, I mean, I had no control over that. So there's no point in me being worried about him breaking it first. Um, would I like to keep them both American? Of course, that's, that's definitely the plan. If someone's going to break it, I want it to be me. Um, but those are two incredible records. So, um, we're going to do everything we can. If, if me and Leon both get close, uh, hopefully I'm the one getting them. Obviously I want to keep them American, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the plan. I wouldn't say I'd be upset if he broke them first. Um, I, cause I, I, I just can't, I'd be upset that I got second. Um, but I can't control uh, how fast he goes. So. I'd love a, a Eddie story. What did Eddie tell you the very first words when you came out of that four or six, what do you say to you? <laughs> what do you he say? Said, he said, I'm proud of you. And that there's nothing we could have done about that at the time but we're going to be better. I love it. Because yeah. uh, Eddie's normally pretty hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was working, working with Sun Yang, we, you know, 339 was the goal in the, in the four free, um, breaking that record and kind of going through it all and going through the splits. When you are kind of setting up your season goals, are you going for smaller chunks with your goal times and you're breaking down each segment or how do you and Eddie and the team go about maybe putting together goal times for yourself in a four IM? Uh, I, it's kind of a mix. I think there's definitely parts of the race that I want to improve on and that I have an idea about where I want to get down to, but I would say goal time is more, I figure out what I want to go and then I figure out how I'm going to do it. Um, that's kind of always been how I make my goal times. I'm more of a big picture guy. Um, so I like to pick the time I want to go and then I'll write down, all right, how am I going to get down to this? Fly's got to be this, back's got to be this, breast has to be this, and then I'm gonna have to come home this fast. So that's kind of the way I approach goal times. Um, obviously with re like I, I have to make it reasonable. So it's kind of like doing it and then figuring out like a puzzle on how, how I want to split it. And then that determines what I need to do in pace and practice, what I need to start pacing for. So. Um, goal times are very important to me. It's, it's something I've done since I was nine, 10 years old. And with this last meet, did you reach those goal times or were they still not to what you had set out before? Uh, I was closer than I've ever been. Um, nice. I was very close to my goal times, um, about right on. I don't, I don't share goal times, but I was, since I, since I did get them and I reset them, my goal times were four Oh six, two and one fifty five seven. So, um, now that those are old goals, I, I can share them and I, I have new goals now. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty satisfying being able to hit those and um, being able to kind of erase goals and set new ones since I've had those for quite a long time. It's, it's satisfying, but 
Um, I got all my new goals set out, sent them to the coaches, and um, now now we work for those. Well, wow, quick turnaround. What about um, you know the the, the team effort? Because Team USA, even with you know Caleb missing half of his events um, in the week, still had a, a record shattering performance with all the medals. And then you guys on the eight free relay stomped on a, a seven minute flat. Um, what's your reaction to that relay? And do you think about that the same way? Like after, like either before or after you guys sitting here going, okay, what's it going to take? What do we have to split? Like, can we get there? And um, yeah, what's your reaction to that one? So as a team as a whole, um, and I don't have much to compare it to is my first trip, like first senior national trip long course. But from what I've heard, everyone seemed like it was one of the best trips ever, which I'm so super lucky to be a part of. Um, I think the captains we had, were incredible uh caleb and and ryan were our captains and they were great uh and then nick fink and chase also stepped up being veterans that have been there uh many times before so it almost felt like we had four guy captains which was really cool uh and i think that had a big impact on how we swam but um in terms of the relay yeah definitely like drew said like we were kind of on the world record hunt uh we not only wanted to get back on the podium but we wanted to be on top and um I think it would have been really awesome if Duncan would have been at the meet because it would have been, I think, a crazy good race toward down the stretch, um, which would have been a lot of fun. And uh, we we obviously know that he's coming back and that Great Britain's going to be really good for the next couple of years. And um, and so that's exciting. But yeah, definitely. I mean, me, Kieran and Drew had talked about kind of the world record and what it would look like for us and and how we would need to split it. Um, and I, I'm lucky to have those two. And obviously I don't train with Kieran, but we're always, we're texting a lot and he's motivating in terms of he's sending us sets that he's doing and the work that he's putting in and in response pushes Drew and I to be better here at Texas. So um, lucky to be around those guys. And it's easy to be on a relay when you can trust that the other three guys are going to do their part and that it makes, it makes your job really easy. The, the, the best basketball teams these days are the ones who have the best chemistry. Um, you know, so the, the Suns, the Warriors, the Heat, these guys all play together as a team. Um, and they seem to be, and it comes from top down, from the coaching staff, the front office, and brings that team so close. And there's no infighting. They're all supporting each other. And the superstars are looking after the young ones big time. Um, you know, I saw some of that chemistry of you and Chase um, in an interview afterwards. Um, the, you know, was it, what was the vibe with the coaching staff? What was it like being in Croatia beforehand? Was it just, did you feel like lifted by your teammates and you're just ready for anything? And they had your back, good or bad? Yeah, definitely. And that's something that's kind of cool. Um, I just, it made me just smile when I thought about it. It was when I first got to Croatia. And obviously I had, I have known uh, Ryan Murphy for a couple of years. He was someone who's been very good about reaching out to me since I was on the junior level and just checking in and um, telling me that, I can always reach out to him with any questions and that's always meant a lot to me. He's someone who he might be the best leader I've ever met in any aspect of life. Um, he just has like the, I don't know if he wants to be a coach one day, um, but he would be an incredible coach just purely off of his leadership skills. Um, so that's something that I look up to him for. Um, he made me feel like, and all the rookies, felt made us feel like we we're part of the team from the second that we got to Croatia, uh, mm -hmm. no matter how much experience we had, um, which was awesome. Uh, Caleb, who, I mean, no matter who you are, if you're new to the team, you kind of get that starstruck feeling because he's Caleb Dressel and he's probably arguably the second best swimmer ever. So um, he's someone who was very relatable though. Uh, it told us a lot of stories about how his first trips went and how he kind of handled it, uh, which made us feel very comfortable. Obviously I've gotten a really good relationship with Chase, um, him helping me with my IM races and letting me know how other people swim their races, what to expect, how to move from prelims to semi to finals and what I need to be focusing on each round, um, which is super helpful. So I mean, I can't say enough about the veterans that were on the, I know Nick Fink was on uh, your guys' show a couple weeks ago, and he was someone who was really good about uh, making sure the team had everything they needed, whether you were a veteran or a rookie. Um, he was there to help anyone out with, with their schedule, even though he was super busy with his. So um, 
I think the, and I, I know the girl captains were great as well, but uh, I, it would take me forever if I went through all of them. But um, the, the, I think team success really stems from, from those guys and just making everyone feel welcome right from the get go. And um, yeah, just, it was super cool to kind of make relationships with them. That's super encouraging to hear. And I think really good for future Team USA too, just because with the college rivalries, I think there can be a lot of, um, you know, barriers set up in competition that, you know, it's it's nice to just break down those barriers and form one team. Uh, so that's super cool to think about you guys sending sets to each other and all that. But um, do you, uh, I think, when it comes to uh, building that camaraderie and then, you know, you sort of transitioning from an up and comer to now have broken through on the international scene, man, you're in that seat now, like you're, you're a leader now. Uh, and, and, you know, you're showing it by example, I'm sure, uh, you know, in that team environment and in the pool every day, what are some of the learnings for you? I'm sure there's takeaways from some of these influences that you've just had that'll impact the way that you lead Texas, the way that, you know, you lead as you do, you know, as you make future USA teams. So um, I don't know, is there anything, any kind of tangible takeaways that you're reflecting on? Like, yeah, I can implement that or I'm going to, I'm going to start to hone that in myself. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of them came from Ryan. Um, I, he was really big on um, celebrating, obviously, the accomplishment, but the meet's not over. Um, refocus. That's something I've always struggled with is um, when I have a really good first day, a really good first two days, I kind of lose focus throughout the meet. And that was something that I think Ryan kind of pressed all of us is that it's a long meet, it's eight days, and you're going to be swimming from I swam day one and I also swam day six. So it's like, I'm going to be in the zone for an entire week. And so I had to be really good about managing my emotions at night, trying to fully like forget about the swim as much as I could until the meet was totally over um, to make sure my next swim was really good. And um, just how, how supportive he was and how much, how much he cares about the success of the whole team and how people take pride. I never really, like realized how much people take pride in the team success at these meets. Um, it's almost, it almost felt like a college meet, even though that we were, we were so dominant uh, at the meet, people were so excited about, let's see how many medals we can get. Let's break the record for how many medals we can get. Like it was very much a team thing, um, which was surprising. And I think that was something that um, Ryan kind of pressed really hard uh, at training camp, but also at the meet. Uh, and then just also the way he treats people, like, like the way he talks to the coaches and the way he talks to, I mean, people he competes against. And I mean, people like me, it was my first trip. And I mean, Ryan's been there. I don't know how many worlds he's been to. He's been to a ton of international meets and he has every, like, I, like he, he could have, he could have just gone and done his own thing and uh, worried about himself and try and try and make the world, like be a world champion. But he took time to kind of, talk to me and send me a text throughout the meet and encourage me. So uh, that was cool. And it just kind of shows me what I want to be like um, when I'm in his shoes. And hopefully now that I'm not, now that I'm not a rookie, um, I can start moving in that direction. I'll Go tell ahead. you how many trips he's been on. My last trip was his first national team trip at Pan Am. So that's <laughs> how long ago it was. It was over a decade ago. Austin <laughs> just explained the Hunter Armstrong thing. He wanted to get as many medals as he can, so he got a gold and a silver in a fifth-day backstroke. You see? Exactly. <laughs> First time ever, you get two medals in one race. What was that reaction like? I mean, the team came together for Justin. I mean, what was that? That was crazy. I mean, it was it was heartbreaking at first. I mean, obviously for Hunter to be – like, we were, we were excited for Hunter because obviously he got to be world champion after Justin gets DQ'd. But, I mean, to, Justin was about to get interviewed, and then all of a sudden you see his name disappear – and everyone like everyone like gasped and I was like what happened and I look at the scoreboard and it's he's DQ'd and just like my heart sank because I mean Justin's a great guy Justin's someone who I didn't know before the trip and I kind of got to know in training camp a little bit by eating meals with him but uh, I mean he's just like a funny like low stress like he just he's just going with the flow I mean he's he's a great he's easy guy to root for and um yeah, and Hunter, Hunter, you saw how great of a sport he was. Um, went over and put the medal around 
Justin's neck once it got overturned. And I, I can't even imagine one on both sides, how hard it would be to be a world champion and then get DQ'd, lose it, uh, and then get it back. The roller coaster of emotions for that. But then also on Hunter's side to get second and then realize, oh, wait, I am a world champion. And then, then be like, no, actually, you are second place and just the roller coaster of emotion he went on. So I respect both of them for how they handled it. I think it was a really cool moment um, and showed a lot about just the team. Um, but yeah, it's just great sportsmanship from both of them. I've never talked to a coach about this, and now I'm really curious. Uh, do you have any idea what happened behind closed doors? Do you talk to the coaches after the DQ got overturned? Like, what were you guys saying? Because I have no idea what those negotiations are like or you know, it, it seems like suddenly it's a legal matter almost. And, you know, you've got coaches and staff who are involved in this. Do you know anything about it? So I think now that I obviously wasn't in that, uh, I have no uh, power in terms of getting things overturned as a as a 20 year old swimmer. But I, I do know that the USA coaches fight like hell for the swimmers. And um, that's something that means a lot to us. I mean, I think even when when Annie got DQ'd, I think they they argued it pretty hard, and they I mean swimming's kind of evolving to the point where you can, you can you have the underwater cameras, and you can do, you can do a, a formal dispute. You can do that at USA meets uh, meets domestically as well. So it's not just an international thing, but they're gonna do whatever they can, even if it's something blatantly obvious. They're gonna fight for you, which means a ton. And in Justin's case, I don't know, I don't even know what Annie got DQ'd for, but in Justin's case. Uh, where it was that he was fully submerged. Um, I saw the replay. I obviously don't think he was fully submerged. Um, I, so I'm, I'm very glad. And I don't think anyone on the team did. So that's why the coaches were like, went to the, I don't know who, I don't know what the process is with that, but I know there was a protest sent in and luckily got overturned. So. Well, what do you think about that rule? I think it's kind of a dumb rule. Like why is there an advantage if you're fully submerged? I got DQ'd for that at my first zones in the 50 back. And it was the only thing I was swimming at that meet. And so I will always hate that rule. <laughs> uh, it was my first zones ever. I was nine years old and I got DQ'd in the 50 back, which is my only event. And I cried. I got, I got top eight. So I would have gotten to go on the podium. I got DQ'd. Um, I didn't understand why it was faster. I guess I understand what the basis of the rule is that you can't go back underwater past the 15 meter rule because they don't want people abusing it. But like from everything I've been taught and I don't swim backstroke too often to the point where I'm ever doing backstroke finishes, but it's slower to go underwater. I mean, it's not faster. It's faster to stay on top of the water. So I think it's a dumb rule to DQ someone for it. I get what they're trying to prevent in terms of people just submerging and doing like four dolphin kicks on the finish. That could be faster. But if you're just going to do one dolphin kick and dive down, I mean, you're slowing yourself down because you have to go instead of just going a straight line, you're going like that. Um, so I think it's a dumb rule, but I understand why they have to have it. Yeah. One thing you mentioned was the team getting excited about the total medal count. And personally, before the meet, I had no idea what the record was or that wasn't on my radar at all. Was that something that was on your guys' radar on the training camp at all? Or you had an idea that you would be able to be shooting for this? Uh, personally, no, I did not. I had no idea. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone on the team because I know the other record was from 2017 and there were a lot of people that were on that trip. Um, but Coach Nesty and Coach DeSorbo, two great head coaches. I think they were perfect for for being the head coach of this these, this trip. And um, they came in, I think it was, I think, day four. Uh, going into day four finals, or maybe it was day five finals, they told us that we had a certain – I don't know how many it was. I want to say it was 23 or 21, 21 medals through the first couple of days, which was on pace to break the previous record. Um, and they just said, let's negative split the meat and get more. And that was something that from that point on, everyone was like, all right, our new goal is to get as many medals as possible. I don't think we were really counting medals the first couple of days. Um, but after that team meeting, I think everyone was like, all right, got to get a medal at this point so I can contribute to negative splitting the meat and getting more medals on the back half. So, um, I think past day four or five, it was definitely a goal of ours. Is there... Is there an asterisk on this? Because Russia wasn't there. Most of Australia wasn't there. So many top swimmers were not there. Is there an asterisk on, on this medal count? 
people can put an asterisk on it if they want. I think I think Team USA was swimming so well that even if Russia That's was there, yeah. um, I think we would have been fine. Uh, I think, I mean, I guess you have to look at how many bronze medals we have and then also factor in that maybe those people would have raced and tr- gotten up into a higher position. So I think there's a lot of what-ifs with that. But it's true. Um, no, I'm for me. I'm gonna. I think I'm not gonna put an asterisk on it. I I'm proud of what the team did, and um, I think I think that for the circumstances, we raced with what we had and uh, who we were against, and and we accomplished 45 medals. So that's kind of the attitude I have towards it. If Russia was there, Trinidad could have got a medal. Dylan came fourth. See? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hey, I want to switch gears and ask you a little bit about um, college, NIL. Uh, you're one of the few college swimmers that, uh, that we know of who has taken advantage of the NIL uh, with some sponsorship. And yet, like all of the the last several months off of the football season have, have been about how NIL has created total chaos within <laughs> college football and some of the revenue generating sports. Um, in terms of free agency and and all of that, um, like as as someone who's like really close to it and a participant in it, I'm curious. Like, what's your experience been with it? Do you feel like it's you know been good and can be good for the sport? And what might you change about it? I think I think it's great for the sport. Um, I think it's great for all sports. Um, obviously, swimming is isn't at the level with it as some of those revenue sports are. Um, and hopefully that, that changes eventually more money into the sport. Um, I think we're going in the right direction with getting more money into swimming, but, uh, I think that it provides, I mean, I think that we should be allowed to, I'm not saying we should get paid by the university. I think that scholarships are their way of paying us, um, by allowing us to get education at a discounted price that, I mean, people would kill for. So um, I'm not going to go out there and say that the university should be paying their athletes. Uh, but I do think that they should allow athletes to have sponsorships and um, to make money. I think especially for a sport like swimming, your window to make money and your window to be at your peak is so small um, relative to some other sports that you need to take advantage of it. And I mean, obviously it's for guys as well, but for girls, I mean, you're a lot of a lot of their windows before NIL were happening during college, and I think that that hurt a lot of girls in the past, and um, it it hurt their opportunity to maximize the amount of money they would have made. Um, I mean, look at Missy Franklin. I'm I'm sure she she made she made a lot of money from post Olympics and once she went pro, but I mean she would have been the most marketable swimmer, marketable female swimmer ever um, after her 2012 performance. So. Um, I think it's a great direction that we're going in. I think that it's very easy to abuse right now for some of the non or for some of the revenue sports because there's not one set rule, one set like I get there's the NCAA hasn't come out and said these are the rules. They said we're gonna leave it up to the state to decide how they're gonna handle it. And since every state handles it different, it's causing all these loopholes and um, ways to get around things, which I think needs to change. Um, that would be my one change that I would have is that I want a universal set of rules for all the states. Um, there's certain things that you're allowed to have in your contract that other states aren't allowed to have uh, based on just whatever the state puts forward. So um, I think that I would like to see a universal set of rules. But as a turn, if, if it was between keeping it how it is now and going back to how it was in the years before I got to college, I'll pick now. I think I think it's great for for all sports, but especially swimming, where where money's pretty hard to come by. Can you see it being? I mean, swimming's already pretty top heavy. Like, there's not a lot of parity in the sport. Where like you know the the like in basketball, let's say you've got the final four, and when the tournament comes, like anything could happen in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in swimming, it's like really easy at the beginning of the year to say. Um, these are the teams that are going to be in the top five at NCAA. It's like, it, that's pretty easy to tell who's going to be at the mm-hmm. top. So um, do you, do you think that there could be a day where um, the, the haves within college swimming, like right now, like Cal and Texas who have such a strong swimming history and uh, a really, you know, active alumni base could 
you know, form one of these entities associated with the, with the university where like, you know, they're like, Hey, we want to keep Carson, but we don't want to pay his scholar. We don't want to give up a scholarship. We've only got 9.9. So you're on the NIL deal and the school gets back your scholarship to give out to other people. Like, are we headed on that route where it's like a reallocation of very few scholarships, given that it's not a full scholarship sport or, or you, I don't know. What do you think? I hope not. Um, I think, I think that it should be separate. I think that people in terms of getting their uh, scholarships paid for by the university is something that they earned in high school and that they're, if they want to go out and make money in a different way and profit off their image, I think that the university shouldn't punish them for that um, in terms of making them use that money then to pay for their education. Um, if that's what you're asking. Uh, I, I would like to see though, if it's, um, I don't know how this would happen, but I think, like you said earlier, I would love to see something become a sport where any 15 teams could win the national championship. Um, that hasn't been the case. And I don't know what the changes would be to make it like that. Um, uh, but I think it would make it more fun. Uh, obviously I love being on Texas in the time where it's basically us or one or two other teams that's going to win every year. But I think that's really fun for me. But when I'm done with college, I would love to have it be more parody and be able to root even harder for Texas because I know it's going to be even tougher. Um, I think that makes swimming more fun. I think it'll draw more people to the sport. Um, but I don't have a good solution right now on how to fix it. I haven't put too much thought into it while I'm still in college. I want some advice on, on sponsorship from you. Um, so George Bovell was sponsored by Head, and he was one of the first swimmers to be sponsored by a traditional tennis company. Um, Mizuno is not a traditional swimming. It's, it's, you know, it's golf and all those other sports. And I know Dylan told me a few weeks ago that Mizuno really treats him well. He really likes them and he gets treated well. What, do you agree with that? And what do you look for when you chose your sponsor? And what advice do you have in choosing a sponsor? You know, you know, because there's so much for your level. What did you look for? So Mizuno, I, I can't say enough about how, how well Mizuno treats their athletes. Um, I think it's, it's a super cool company to be a part of, first off, because, I mean, you are connected to so many other athletes in different sports. So um, while the pandemic kind of changes things a little bit, and luckily we're kind of hopefully hitting the back end sometime soon, um, I've, I've really wanted to be able to meet like Austin Riley, who plays baseball for the Braves and someone, I'm a big baseball fan. So um, being able to be technically in the same company as someone like him uh, is really cool. That Obviously, it's not something I looked for when I was looking for a company to sign with, but I think probably what I looked for with a company to sign with is just someone who whichever suit or whichever brand I was going to be in the ready room feeling most confident wearing their suit. And that for me this year in the past seven years has been Mizuno. I've worn Mizuno for uh, ever since I really started competing at a high level. So ever since I was 15, I haven't worn a different suit since then. So um, Mizuno is the suit I feel most, most comfortable and confident in. I think it's the best suit in the world right now. Um, and so that's what I looked for. And, uh, that's, that's, I think priority number one, um, is, uh, whatever is going to make you swim the fastest. And I think Mizuno right now is that suit for me. All right, Carson, we got some rapid fire questions for you to finish up. Wait. What's the hardest race in swimming? Or I am <laughs> right away. <laughs> Easy. Olympic gold or world record? Olympic gold. Do you pee in the pool? If I have to. Who's the greatest Texas Longhorn I am or ever? I'm going to go with Willa Cone. Willa Cone. If you could only pick one I am race to do for the rest of your career, would you pick the two or the four or the hundred I am? I would say the four because it's it's harder to be good at it. What advice do you have for Michael Andrew on 2IM race strategy? Keep doing what he's doing because he <laughs> still, still has the second fastest time in like four years. So I would say keep, going, keep doing it. Yeah. Do it till it doesn't work anymore. What advice do you have for his freestyle? <laughs> Put your head down and pray. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest Foster, Jody Foster, Foster the People, or Foster's Australian for beer? 
Um, Foster the people. We were looking for D, Carson Foster. Okay. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many wins for the Bengals next year? I'm going regular season 12 and 5, and then we make it to the Super Bowl again and lose, unfortunately. That's that's my that's my bold prediction. <laughs> John, I'm sorry. John. <laughs> We're done here. So I hope I'm wrong. I put my expectations low, though. I guess that's not low, but I want, I'll be happily surprised. Oh, you're crushing John's hopes and dreams. Hey, listen, if it's anything like my Falcons, they're not even going to make it back. So, you know, uh, you got to be happy with that. Uh, all right. Final one. How often do you do social kick in practice? Te- Texas, we do it quite a bit. We do it probably, probably four or five times a week. Yes. I like to hear that. Hopefully, uh, whenever Eddie's career comes to a close, that will stick. So uh, hopefully, he's instilling that upon Wyatt. It's mostly Wyatt. So I think I nice. think I'm I'm hoping that's that'll continue. I think in terms of Wyatt, I want I hope Wyatt's the the next guy. So nice. he's got he's got my vote. Can I add one? And this goes back yeah. to the expectations people have on you, of course. So you can completely ignore me. Uh-huh. Who's gonna be the first Texas swimmer ever to hold a world record in the two or the four hundred IM? Because no Texans ever done it. Who's going to be the first? The first Texan to ever have a, a world record in the 200 IM or the 400 IM. Hopefully me. That's the plan. Hopefully me. It's, yeah. I'm hoping it's me. <laughs> Easy. Not that hard. Hard. We should have started with that one. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, man, it's coming. But yeah, so many good IMers. Jeez. Well, Carson, man, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us. We look forward to watching your big time drops and the off events at sectionals coming up. And, <laughs> Thank uh, you. I wish you a little bit of time off uh, to reset, but excited to hear you're motivated and uh, we look forward to watching you in the future, bud. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Cool. That's it for this episode of Social Kick and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website,